which give intricate detail to the stories in the Bible. Have you ever found yourself deep in the rabbit hole with questions that no one seemed to have the answers to? Join us every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for our Ask Me Anything series with author and researcher Zen Garcia as he sheds light on the mysteries which have us all searching together. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for another Ask Me Anything with Zen Garcia. This is your host, Joy Garcia, and I'm super excited to be here with you for our 49th episode. I can't believe it, but I get to say that our conference is coming up next Friday, which just seems so wild, September 11th through the 13th. It's it's crazy because we have literally, I think, been preparing for this conference for the last two years. And with uh, COVID-19 forcing us to postpone and with the new date and all the different speakers unable to make it for various reasons, not all of them, but some of them. And if you can check on sacredwordreveal.com to make sure to see who is going to be attending in person versus virtual but I just want to thank everyone for just having so much grace with us, so for being so understanding and so encouraging throughout this whole thing. We're so grateful for such a wonderful family, such a wonderful community that has truly just supported us through it all. So thank you so much, everyone. We really hope to see some of you at the conference in Atlanta, Georgia, September 11th through 13th. Um, Unfortunately, we're going to be sending out another email um, letting people know that Gary Wayne will not be able to join us virtually. I do ask our, our virtual, our family, our family and our community to please pray for Gary Wayne. Um, he just had some family stuff happen and we just, we just want to be um, in prayer for him and please join us in prayer um, for him and his family during this time. And um, But we do have some exciting news. Our, our great friend and brother, um, Jake Grant, will be joining us as a speaker. So we're super excited to have him join us. And on, we've added quite a few new speakers, which you can also see on sacredwordrevealed.com. Um, some more local people have agreed to join us and fellowship with us and share the amazing knowledge that they have about the end times and share their research. So we're super excited. Above all, we're excited to fellowship with our community and be able to give some physical hugs. And <laughs> um, yeah, so we hope to fellowship with you. Uh, Zen, are you here with us? I am. Awesome. How are you tonight? Uh, good. Just, uh, you know, busy. I'm Looking forward to getting through these next few weeks and then having a time of uh, rest and recovery. Absolutely. I can't hear you. Oh, I'm okay. Now you can hear me. Great. Um, but yeah, I just said um, that. Yeah, that's that would be a very well deserved rest considering all mm -hmm. the different. 
Yeah. <laughs> Conferences. You've been the speaker at all the different books that we've been putting out. Uh, it's definitely been a very busy couple of months for you or a mm -hmm. couple of years. <laughs> really. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but with that said, <laughs> yes, we hope to see you guys next Friday, September 11th through 13th. And I will open us up in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for this wonderful time that we get to have in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in, in Yah and Christ, Father. We thank you so much that we get to be able to meet in this way. What a strange time we live in, but what a blessing that we get to stay connected during these times. We ask that this upcoming conference, Father, we pray that it would be a blessing to many and with all the changes, Father, we know that we just want to do uh, your will, Father, and be obedient to you, Father. So we thank you so much for the way that you work and for bringing the speakers that will be coming um, together. And we ask that you would speak through them, that it would be a huge blessing, Father, that you would open our hearts and our ears to understand the times we are living in and to be convicted and to know what we're supposed to do during these times to best honor you, to best serve you, Father. We thank you so much for your love, and we thank you so much for this time and for Zen Garcia, who has dedicated his life to researching and studying your word, Father. So we thank you, and we ask that you would bless this time. In Yahushua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So first question is from Heather. A few questions came up while I was talking with my son about Genesis today. If Cain was a product of Satan and Eve, and, and Eve, why was he not a giant? Also, if all of the world was flooded, save for, for Noah and his family, how did the lineage of Cain and the pre-Adamites continue? Okay, um, I know I've answered this question like, 20 times probably in different broadcasts, but I'll just um, sum it up really quickly. Uh, with regard to Cain, um, he and also Adam and his lineage, they were what we would consider giants. They were uh, of larger stature and had longer lifespans. They lived almost a thousand years. And so they were very different than what we are now. But as far as what distinctly um, separates and makes different Cain's line from that of Adam's is that it says that when he was born, he had a seraphic appearance and that he had the mark of the Satans on him. And when you look at the full summary of um, the biblical narrative, you see that Cain and his bloodline and even the elites of the world today that are from his bloodline, they are said to be reptilian or they are possessed and hosted uh, by ancient, what are called the ancient ones, um, and that these are the fallen seraphim angels that joined Lucifer in rebellion and were cast down and cast out. And so 
that is the distinction. That's why Christ says of them that they are a brood of vipers. And what was the other? Uh, oh, as far as Noah's flood. Uh, well, the pre-Adamites, um, as far as Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal, whatever, the different types of hominids that existed in the ancient times, we don't know if you know there are still in places upon the earth some of these ancient types of beings. In fact, Bigfoot was said to be a pre-Adamite type hominid, and there are still sightings of this particular creature all over the world. And so he, they could still be in existence. And certainly the giants are said to be alive and well and present on the Solomon Islands and that it wasn't even a few decades back that the Japanese military encountered them during the, in the World Wars and so World War II when the Americans and the Japanese were fighting over the different Pacific Islands um, and so one can look to the Solomon Island Mysteries for more on that. And with regard to the seed of Cain surviving the flood, in Matthew chapter 13, Christ says, let both grow together until the time of the end. And that was speaking about the wheat and the tares. And so the wheat and the tares were preserved through the flood of Noah's day. And one can read more in greater detail about how this occurred in the Great Contest to the enmity between the seed lines, chapter 19, on how the seed of Cain survived the flood. And so all of it is available there. Thank you. Next question is from John. I had a dream that really challenged me. In the dream, it was it was said Jacob was a Nephilim. I noticed Esau was a fraternal twin that God hated, which was interesting to me. Who really fathered Esau? Plus, they lived in Canaan and the land of giants. Also, we presuppose David was a small guy that fought Goliath, but I'm now wondering how large David was. My point is, these characters in the Old Testament, we all assume are all six-foot-tall guys. Is it possible Jacob really could have been a Nephilim God loved? I don't believe so. Um, now, with regard to Esau, there is some interesting aspects to his birth and the way that he had come out. And I mentioned this because I've read in the legends of the Jews that Esau had double sets of teeth, which we know is a characteristic of the giants. Uh, I don't consider the giants to be Nephilim. I believe that the Nephilim are the fallen angels and that the giants are the offspring of the Nephilim. Um, Nephal, where we get the word Nephilim, is to fall, uh, to descend, to come down. And those things are associated to the angels, even the Anunnaki, 
those who from the heavens to earth came. And so the giants I consider to be the offspring and something completely separate from the Nephilim. But hybrid, yes. And so Esau, however, was uh, birthed by Rebekah and Isaac, and they were the parents of both uh, Jacob uh, and Esau, and they did come forth as twins. And how, you know, Esau ended up with his characteristics being uh, hairy, uh, red, ruddy, and if this is in fact correct with regard to his having double sets of teeth, which it does say this and bring forth this as postulation in the legends of the Jews, um, certainly Esau was hated, but it was had more to do with his not having any respect for his birthright or for his father's and his ancestors' provision and prohibition to not take wives of the Canaanite peoples or the children of Cain, um, and that he did not believe in the afterlife. And so for these reasons, he was willing to sell his birthright to his brother who did uh, and wanted to take on the role of initiation into what is the order of the ancients and to represent that priestly class amongst his, uh, his family and his particular bloodline. And so he was given that privilege. Um, but even Esau... In, you know, even though he may have some kind of um, giant characteristics, we don't know exactly what he looked like or if he was, in fact, you know, in some manner carrying these kind of traits. I don't know where he would have received them from. But even uh, Goliath and his brothers, they were cousins to... David and his mighty men. Um, Orpah was the sister of Naomi, and Naomi is the one that had left and went back to um, the, the Holy Land and became part of the Israelites, but her sister was you know, the, the, uh, the one that bore the, the brothers of Goliath and the giants that are mentioned in um, Chronicles and Kings. And so, you know, again, I don't know, but um, I do believe that the line that hosted and fathered Yahushua was pure and that even Noah was pure in his generations and that he was preserved so that the Messiah could be born, uh, and that David's line, we know that he is of the line of David, the stem of Jesse. And so um, I believe that that line is pure and does not have any kind of Nephilim tainting within it, because uh, the whole reason for Christ even 
entering into flesh form was to preserve us and to rescue us from that contamination. And so, um, just my opinion, and, you know, again, this is, in my opinion, why Cain is excluded from Yahushua's genealogy. And you can find confirmation of this in really great detail in the Vestures of Light and the Rod of Wonder. There's a chapter on the stem of Jesse, and I explain how that is connected to uh, the genealogical witness uh, of Christ and how he was also of both the Aaronic priesthood and also of the kingly line of Judah, and that it was in him that the uh, office of prophet, priest, and king was reunited as it had been separated uh, amongst the patriarchs of the 12 tribes, the Levites being the host for the priestly um, roles and duties and Judah being the kings. And so uh, there was a separation up until the time of Christ and even Mary as it was her. Uh, and you can find this on the priesthood of Jesus Christ, which that text is included in the publication of Justin's book, The Word of the Lord, A Comparative Analysis of the Hidden Memra. And if you read that text, you'll see how it was confirmed without a doubt that Mary was a perpetual virgin and that the father, Yahuwah, was indeed the the father of Christ, and that they were, she was of both the Aaronic and the line of Judah, tied to King David, and also to his father, Jesse, which is why we see in Isaiah the prophecy of a stem of Jesse, a shoot, an offspring, an offshoot of, um, of Jesse being Christ and the fulfillment of that. Thank you. Next question is from Patty. Can you please lead me to the text that gives a detailed genealogy of Adam? Genesis 5 makes it sound like Seth was his first son without mentioning Abel. Then simply says that he begot sons and daughters. Is there another place where I can find this information? Yeah, there are. As I mentioned in this Vestures of Light and the Rod of Wonder, there's three genealogical lists that I make mention of and share in great detail. And one is from, of course, Luke chapter 3. And the reason Abel is not mentioned is because he did not bear offspring. And being killed, murdered by his half-brother Cain, uh, he's not included in the genealogical list. Because it was Seth who propagated the children of Adam. Seth bearing, you know, children, his firstborn, leading to what would be the next uh, in the listing of, uh, the, you know, as far as the firstborns, on and on and on, all the way to Christ. But yes, um, Luke chapter 3, there's also a partial list in Matthew from Abraham going onward. And you can find a great really incredible genealogical 
listing in the Cave of Treasures and the Book of the Bee, as well as the work of Pseudophilo. Um, there are some other partial genealogical lists, but I can't off the top of my head remember where they where they are. So, but there's three incredible accounts going all the way from Adam to Yahushua found in those three witnesses that I just mentioned. Thank you. Next question is from Andrew. I'm curious if you have come across the book by Timothy Jenkins, The Ten Tribes of Israel, or the true history of the North American Indians showing that they are the descendants of these ten tribes. No, I have not. But I do know that there is truth to uh, what he is saying. And yes, I do know that the Native Americans and other indigenous tribes from North America and South America are associated and related to the Lost Ten Tribes. Um, But no, I have not read that book. Uh, But our good friend Gary Wayne is working on his second book, which is exclusive to this particular topic. And so I would ask him in the AMA that Justin and Joy do with him once a month this same question. Which, that's a probably a good point to announce that we're going to have to cancel Gary Wayne's AMA this coming Monday as well due to the the family struggles, the emergency. family issues, the emergency. Um, yes, death in the family. Uh, but yeah. yes, please keep him in your prayers and his family. And with that, we'll move on to the next question from Bart. Do you think it's possible that South Africa is where the true Jerusalem sits when observing the year 1400 plus maps? This location fits all the Leviticus requirements, whereas the Middle East Jerusalem does not. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, I would have to really look at the maps and I don't know what Levitical requirements the individual is speaking about. So, so I can't really say. Sure. We'll move on to the next question from Rachel. What do I do on a Sabbath? How do I best observe this holy day so as not to offend God, but to show him respect and honor? I believe that one should um, devote time to relating with God in communion in however way one can on the Sabbath, that the purpose for his giving these days off, in my opinion, was so that we can spend time with him in relationship and that good ways to commune is to pray, show gratitude, Um, Also, devotion as far as worship or, you know, singing or anything of that nature. Uh, Just being in the creation outside with the elements and with the the great mystery, the the everything. 
And then also the other way is to immerse yourself in the study of his word or prophecy. or And if you can combine those things together, then all the better, in my opinion. And if you can, you know, as far as gathering with others that are of like mind, uh, where two or more are gathered, and if not, it's, it's not necessary, in my opinion, that just spending time, and I personally like to be by myself and in communion with the Most High, and that is in you know, the study of the Word, uh, the reading of Scripture, communal prayer. But, you know, I don't know how many of you out there pray over even the simple things like your food, your water, uh, waking up, sleep and dreams, and any of those things that showing gratitude in, you know, taking your meal if you are not a regular uh, person that prays. Just things like that. Um, just showing thankfulness, I think, goes a long ways in as far as acknowledging and celebrating uh, Sabbath. And I believe that also that if one attempts to follow and learn about the true calendar, um, that God appreciates that as well because he did establish it into the heavens, encoded it into the stars, and for us to take the time to, and the willingness and the wanting to understand his calendar as he has placed it into the heavens, that this also, um, yeah, I think he appreciates it. i just leave it at that. Thank you. Next question is from Rachel. What are the different feasts and festivals and what do they mean? Do I observe and celebrate the feasts and festivals? If so, how do I do that? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, yes, the, the different Levitical feast days are Passover, Pesach, which is on the 14th of Nisan, on the eve of the full moon. Then you have unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which always occurs on the 15th of Nisan. That is a full moon Sabbath. And then you have the Day of First Fruits, which occurs on the 16th of Nisan. And this is when the high priest does the wave offering of first barley and then the other six major crops that are grown in Israel. And those are done over the seven weeks leading up to what is Shavuot or Pentecost. And Shavuot is when the Israelites uh, encountered the Most High in the desert on Mount Sinai. And they received the Ten Commandments and the law. And this was also the day that Christ had sent the Holy Spirit to anoint the apostles for what is the Great Commission to go forth and to preach um, to the world and to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to pronounce the good news of salvation through him. 
And then you have the fall feast, which is Yom Terah, the Feast of Trumpets. And then Yom Hibrikarim, which is the Day of Atonement. And then Sukkot, uh, which occurs, um, Yom Terah occurs on the first day, the Rosh Kadesh, when the waxen crescent appears in the seventh month of Tishri. And then on the tenth day is the Day of Atonement. And that's a day of um, fasting and repenting and praying and also getting rid of you know the love in your house and in your life and in you know coming closer in relationship to the most high and then on the 15th which is the full moon on the month of Tishri as well that you have the celebration of Sukkot which is a seven day festival of basically living in temporary shelter, uh, camping more or less in, in observation, a memorial of the type of housing the Israelites lived in during their 40 years of wandering in the desert uh, before you know, being led back and inheriting uh, the land of Canaan as their promised land. And I also believe that at the end of days when Christ returns, uh, that he will come on the Feast of Trumpets. That will be the day or the, the time that leads to the rapture and that he will take his judgment seat on the Day of Atonement. And that will be when the harvest occurs uh, after the pouring out of the wrath of God upon those not written into the books of life and then all the dead will be called up and judgment will occur and then those that are found worthy will enter into instead of what is a temporary home um, that we will give up our temporary flesh and that we will take on our glorified bodies be returned to our bright nature and if you are numbered and with the elect, God willing, all of us will be, then you will be allowed to enter into New Jerusalem for the thousand years of the Sabbath rest. And so those are the the Levitical feast days as found in chapter 23. It is my opinion that these are the holy days that we should be observing and that we should be celebrating um, because they are the days that Christ fulfilled in first and will fulfill in second coming. And, um, and they are the, the holy days that were mandated by the Father for our observance. And that we should be celebrating these particular days instead of things like uh, Halloween and Easter and Christmas and the other pagan holidays. Thank you. Next question is from Vito. Regarding Zechariah 5, 5 through 11, from how I read it, it seems as if he was encountered by two angels that were in female form that sat before him. My question is to you, Zen, is how would you interpret this prophecy? Did Zechariah indeed get visited by angels that were in the form of women? And did you want me to read those verses? Sure. 
Uh, Zachary's, so this is 5 through 11. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, Moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, This is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of ephah, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then I lifted I up mine eyes and looked and behold, there came out two women and the wind was in their wings for they had wings like the wings of a stork and they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. Then said I to the angel and talked with me, whither do these bear the ephah? And he said unto me to build it in an house in the land of Shinar and it shall be established and set there upon her own base well yes that definitely sounds like um, you know that he had encountered uh, what looks like female angels Um, I personally believe that you know angels can present themselves as whatever they want take on any kind of form that they have the ability to shapeshift and that um, they can't even you know present themselves like the angels that came unto Abraham uh, that they looked like men and they were able to eat uh, and to sit with them Um, but you know again the angels in my opinion are not gendered in that they are actually whole in their embodiment meaning that they are both male and Female, they're hermaphroditic in my opinion. Uh, just like God is male and female, the Godhead has both male and female aspects to it, which is why we see then Genesis 1 of the creation of humanity, male and female created he them. And I believe that the creation is a reflection of the Godhead and similarity and that the angels are as well. Uh, that being said, of course, yeah, they can represent themselves and look like male or female or you know anything even creatures like the uh, the cherubim that have you know the different faces of the different animals um, and so uh, these seraphim angels being reptilian and being uh, serpent like and so yeah I think the angels and the celestial hosts can uh, present themselves in numerous forums and embodiments and have done so um, over the course of uh, mankind's history. But again, it's only humanity that holds gender with regard to male and female and having the genitals to actually procreate the race and to propagate children uh, in continuance, kind after kind. Uh, that is all unnecessary with the angels. Not saying they can't physically uh, or procreate, because it seems historically that um, certain, at least certain classes or groups of angels 
have been able to mate with and uh, even the mythologies of you know like the the Greeks and the Romans to declare that their gods had descended down and taken uh, both men and women to be their mates and so um, seems to be plausible in some manner Thank you. Next question is from Marcel. Regarding the book Folklore in the Old Testament, is this book known to you? If so, what is your opinion of it? If not, you may find it interesting to read. Uh, yes, it is familiar to me, and uh, we have actually published it, and I think it is a very interesting book in that it represents a lot of what is um the Arabic and Muslim and other Syriac and uh, Aramaic and different ancient manuscripts which contained and preserved the biblical account of different patriarchs in the same manner that the legends of the prophets and the patriarchs also preserves a worldwide accounting of the Old Testament characters from different religions, different uh, cultures, and you know, different uh, folklore. And so, yeah, I do find all of those kind of uh, renderings very interesting. In fact, the the one of the books that I like uh, and that I recommend people read is a book uh, as it comes to pass, or and it came to pass some. Uh, one of those titles, but it's a book of the folklore and also the legends of both King Solomon and King David uh, and things that have occurred over their lifetime. And there's incredible stories from a wide variety of cultures that have not been preserved in the Bible that speak about, for instance, um, how King Solomon had a flying carpet and was able to ride around upon it uh, to different places all over the world and that he would bring with him a whole retinue of soldiers and creatures and um, different people that were part and animals that were part of his court because King Solomon had the power and the authority over not only humans and animals, but also over the devils and the demons. And so he was basically commander-in-chief of the entire world and given authority over all of the entities. Um, and he had the, you know, again, the ability to, which we know that stories of like Aladdin and the, you know, the magic carpet, but these actually originate with King Solomon. And you can read in those kinds of books and those kinds of accounts. And, you know, and I'm not sure if they, this particular story is related in the folklore of the Holy Land, but uh, certainly in that book that I made mention of, uh, as it comes to pass, um, these stories are mentioned and preserved therein. Thank you. Next question is from Amber. 
Pastor Arnold Murray taught pre-existence with God from the beginning and also used extra-biblical texts as reference. His belief was that we were present and involved during the first earth age. We would have lived on earth during the first age, first earth age. Then, according to him, God allowed us to live again during the earth age, second age, where and now. That our souls only make one pass through the life we're in, and then we'll live eternally with God in the third world age. Are you in agreement with this? Absolutely am, yes. Um, I have great respect for Pastor Arnold Murray. I think he was a pioneer in regard to a lot of teachings and that he was able to be a witness to many of the truths that the Most High had led me to in similar discernment and that after I had uh, begun broadcasting that many of my listeners made me aware of his work and at that time um, he was on satellite TV and so I was able to watch him um, and to you know see a lot of well, not a lot, but some of his teachings, and I was amazed at you know the things, the way that what I now have come to know as truth uh, aligned in similarity with the things that he also had taught for decades, even. And so, I have great respect for Pastor Arnold Murray. Uh, God bless him and all that he did, and I'm sure that he also. Um, had to defer all of the attacks that so many people levied upon him for even believing and teaching the revelation of serpent seed uh, and even pre-existence. Um, I don't know why these topics are vehemently opposed and extremely hated by mainstream Christians, but for whatever reason, they are, and not only are they unwilling to embrace them as possibility, but they openly criticize, condemn, and judge, um, you know, those that do and have come to discernment on these topics, which, in my opinion, they are common sense and, without a doubt, um, you know, affirmed within the the Bible and within Scripture, and especially when you study the Targum and read the ancient uh, translations of what was the Hebrew Bible into the first uh, language uh, of its translation, Aramaic, you see that without a doubt, Serpent Seed is preserved within those manuscripts, as are so many other teachings. And so, you know, why people oppose them and hate others that believe in it and it just doesn't make sense to me but it is what it is and I unfortunately have learned um, that you know this teaching for whatever reason uh, and, and along with a number of other things that I teach uh, for some reason are openly hated by so many people and that not only do they hate the message but they hate me for even sharing. I mean, even when, you know, the Take on the World conference 
when my presentation came up, there was this one individual who just, you know, had to make it known that he hated me on the channel and questioned why I was even allowed to uh, speak at the conference. I mean, you know, it's those kind of things that uh, I just don't understand it about, you know, these are supposed to be Christians and we're supposed to even love our enemies. But, you know, there's just weirdness um, and I deal with it a lot of times. But many of you know because you deal with the same thing. And it has to do with, um, in my opinion, again, the elect that know and understand truth, that have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and a mind to understand that the this group is very small. It's a minority. And that as the world hated Yahushua and hates Christians and hates Christianity uh, as a whole, so do they hate the truth. It is what it is. Thank you. This is a follow-up question from Amber. Pastor Murray seems to think we would have been in more of an angelic form during the first Earth Age due to the Atlanteans being involved in the first Earth Age. If we were not here during that time, what would have happened to the souls who had inhabited the first Earth Age? If humans were here on earth instead of angels, why was Jesus not needed for salvation during the first earth age? Um, well, the first earth age, again, in my opinion, had to do with the rebel angels, the fall of the rebel angels, and then the those that would later incarnate into flesh, which I believe that most of what are now incarnating and taking on flesh embodiment are those that did not participate so much in the war in heaven to where they sided either with Satan or with Christ and that the election is that we would have to prove our allegiance by coming into flesh and deciding um, what Um, and so it's in, you know, the first world age was when we were in spiritual embodiment and it was, has nothing to do with the flesh. The flesh was a consequence of the election of what was the first world age and the war in heaven that occurred during that time. And that's why, in my opinion, you see that the individuals that were, and did serve Christ during that time, are favored like Jacob. And then those that opposed the Most High are hated like Esau. And that the election of whether and what side you participated on determined that favoritism or that condemnation. But for most that are incarnating into the flesh, they were writing the middle ground and that's why in my opinion we are having to incarnate into flesh form now and that it is in and during lifetime that we learn about the reasons why we fell who we are and what this whole world is about 
and why it was that Christ had to take on mortal form in order to save us and to redeem us and to show us the way that he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the light, and life. And so, um, you know, you can't ride the middle ground anymore this time, because if you do, you're spewed out. Uh, you're considered to be lukewarm, and you are numbered and counted with those that are later to be condemned. And so one has to make a choice, and that choice uh, in my opinion, is understanding and coming to know Christ as Messiah and that he did enter into mortal form in order to redeem us and to show us the way home. And so um, if you're wanting to know more about pre-existence and election and predestination, I recommend Skyfall, The Angels of Destiny, that book um, covers these topics in great detail. And in my opinion, it's one of the few books that you can find that answer all of the questions of which I'm alluding to uh, in connection to these issues. Thank you. Next question is from Bart. Could Zen explain his thoughts in relation to Ken Klein's thoughts in that we are also fallen as we rebelled against the one-third that rebelled against the Most High? But supposedly we didn't have the authority to go after Satan and his rebellious angels. Um, with regard to our being fallen, yeah, we are in a fallen state. But I don't believe that we are the fallen angels in regard to the one-third of the angels that, that rebelled against the Most High and that joined Lucifer and that became Legion, those angels aren't taking on mortal embodiment. They possess, yes, the, the, the people that give themselves up to their possession and that, you know, um, like the Illuminati bloodlines that allow themselves to be possessed by these ancient deities. However, they're not born uh, in for one lifetime. They're not, they don't come about and aren't born of woman. They are ancient angelic beings that cast out. They are living through and possessing bodies and they will be here for the duration of the uh, 7,000 years of the second world age and then at the end in my opinion they will be annihilated um, because of the second death but they're not you know born of woman uh, even though they yes can possess and host in the physical and that's the way that they interact in this time space dimensionality but they have no part in salvation Whereas humanity has the opportunity, the chance, and the choice uh, to come to understand and know uh, Yeshua and why he came into mortal form in order to save us and to redeem us. And so that is the difference. 
And yeah, we're in fallen form, but we're not fallen angels. Um, we are angels that are fallen. There is a difference. There is a distinction. And that that is the um, differentiation. Thank you. Next question is from Jackie. In Genesis 28:22, Jacob makes a vow to the Lord saying, "All that you give me, I will give you a tenth." If during the, that time the temple didn't exist, n- neither was there any priesthood system. Where did the tithe go and how did Jacob tithe? Well, you can find links to this going back to Abraham, that Abraham had established basically like a traveler's lodge. And even how the angels that came to him and he washed their feet and he invited them to come in to rest and he fed them. That, um, And also in the story of Job, you'll you'll see that they gave um, even more than a tenth, some even up to a third um, of their possessions to the poor, to the needy, the hungry, uh, those that were naked, the widows, the orphans, as we are commanded all throughout Scripture to do. Uh, It's basically helping those that are less fortunate and giving to them, aiding to them, which that also reminds me that I just recently found a, a charity that I wanted to bring to people's attention. And you can look it up for yourself. It's called uh, an, uh, Adopt a Native Elder. And it is an organization that helps uh, Native American people that are suffering extremely. And especially the elders that um, many of them are, are starving to death that the one of the major causes of their death is they just do not have enough to eat and, and enough, um, you know, food to sustain themselves. And so there is a charity out there, and I just started supporting them myself. And you know, I do encourage people to look them up for yourself. And if you have a a heart for the native people, like like I do, and I believe that, you know, they were done extremely wrong uh, by our government and uh, having their lands stolen. And um, and so it, it's something to consider. And so if you, those of you that are willing, uh, please do. I think you will make a big difference, even if you, you're able to buy food coupons for them. It, it's just look up Google search or whatever, adopt a, a native. Um, but anyways, adopt a native elder. Uh, but anyways, I believe that tithing, in my opinion, is not about giving a check to your church or giving money to the pastor or you know things of that nature or paying for a larger foyer for your, you know, your church's building. I believe that we are to take care of the less fortunate, especially the orphans and the widows that do not have, um, because it it is usually the men that 
work the hardest in order and this is not to belittle women in any any manner but the men are appointed to be head of household and to sustain and to work to take care of the women and the children and i know that women do work and many make and bring in larger incomes than even their husbands uh, I'm, that's not the point of what I'm saying. Uh, I'm just saying that with regard to, you know, if they lose their husbands and they don't have, um, you know, the the labor that was out there making money in order to feed them and their children, that this is what God has established as what I believe is the tithing system that those that do have and that are blessed that God wants us and he commands us to to give that it's better to uh, to give than to receive and the reason being is because the way that God has established it in creation is that those that give and pay it forward uh, that's the way you are more greatly blessed in abundance and so um, that's the law uh, in reaping what you sow the more you give the more you'll be blessed in my opinion and those that which we give is to go to those that are directly in need and that it would be better for you to purchase a meal for a homeless person or to give to an orphan, or somebody that is widowed, or even to a, a native elder that is starving to death from not having enough to eat. Uh, it's better to tithe in that manner, in my opinion, than giving, you know, to the plates that they pass around on the uh, Sunday services. Absolutely. And a quick reminder that we just opened this year our first Endeavor Freedom Orphanage um, in Myanmar. And if you want to check out some more information about that, EndeavorFreedom.net. And as a reminder, at Endeavor Freedom, um, our nonprofit organization, we give 100% of your donation straight to the orphanage. And we volunteer our time for administrative stuff. So please do check out EndeavorFreedom.net to check uh, to see how you can support these various orphanages. But uh, please do check out the Endeavor Freedom Orphanage since they are fully um, 100% dependent on our community. So thank you so yes. much, everyone. Um, it is 10.01 p.m. I think this is the perfect time to take a quick break. And right after break, we'll be giving away a free book. So please stick around. As a bookstore for truth seekers, it's our goal to make ancient manuscripts which were once held captive by secretive institutions available for public consideration. In our generation where wisdom has increased as Daniel the prophet foretold, we have access to many of the testimonies our early church brethren were persecuted for preserving. After being hidden for centuries, these manuscripts have been leaked from various sources throughout the earth 
and it's our goal to gather these sources into printable form to make available for all who seek the ancient way. If you're looking to deepen your studies of the biblical narrative, find these ancient manuscripts and more at sacredwordpublishing.com. September 11 to the 13th, 2020. Purpose to reveal end time mysteries. To prepare the final generation. We must don the full armor of God. Featuring Zen Garcia. Dr. Joy Pugh. Rob Skiba. Gary Wayne. Yana Ben-Noon. Stephen Benoon, Dr. Stephen Pigeon, Justin Garcia, Laurel Austin, Nathan Reynolds. Buy your tickets now at sacredwordrevealed.com. constantly studying alone. But there is a place where we can come together. The Digital Readers Club is our online ecclesia meant for those who've forsaken churchianity but still want the closeness of a family to study with. Join us every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time to put together the puzzle pieces of truth scattered throughout the ancient scriptures. Your partnership with Sacred Word Publishing goes further than the publishing of ancient manuscripts and weekly video content. You also make a huge impact across the earth in orphanages in Myanmar, India, Uganda, and Kenya. Your support is crucial for the development of the Ecclesia of Real Truth Seekers. We thank you for joining us in hosting Secrets Revealed, Momentary Zen, the Digital Readers Club, Ask Me Anything series, and other shows that have helped lead so many to the truth of salvation. Become even more involved? Please visit patreon.com slash sacredwordpublishing where you can partake in exclusive, interactive, patron-only content and help us continue shining the light of love in this darkened world. Awesome, and we are back. I'm going to ask the question for tonight. If you are unfamiliar with what's going on, we're giving away a free book. Whichever book Zen has decided on, I'm going to ask the question, and while you're thinking about it, I'll ask Zen to tell us what book he decided to give away tonight. So the question is, in Genesis 18, 
Abraham is discussing with the Most High how many people it would take for Sodom to be spared. What was the final number that was settled on? I'll ask the question again. In Genesis 18, Abraham is discussing with the Most High how many people it would take for Sodom to be spared. What was the final number that was settled on? Zen, what is the book that you want to give away tonight? And why? Skyfall. Angels of Destiny. Because there seems to be a lot of interest in the pre-existence and predestination and uh, election as a whole. And so for those of you that are interested in these topics... This particular book will clarify a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, as far as from the biblical perspective and extra biblical texts and other sources, it will help you to understand these concepts and uh, greater, greater understanding. Awesome. Thank you. And we will put the link to Skyfall in the chat, but we do have a winner. And our winner tonight is Anomalous. Congratulations, Anomalous. Uh, thank you for participating and answering correctly. If you could please email us at sacredwordpublishingllc at gmail.com with subject line hmm, book winner for AMA. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much. And oh, please send us your address so we can send you that book. All right. With that, let's move on to the next question from Michael. I had some questions regarding the account of Theodosius and the hidden codex that revealed the priesthood of Jesus. The text reveals that midwives were able to verify that Mary was still a virgin after the birth of Jesus and the death of Joseph. That immediately raised a number of questions in my mind. Scripture doesn't reveal when Joseph died, but we know that Yeshua had brothers and sisters. It strikes me as odd that after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary would still not have consummated their marriage. Unless Joseph died not long after Jesus was born and Mary took on another husband. But I feel like Scripture would mention that. And additionally... Unless Mary had some kind of Hebrew C-section, wouldn't giving birth especially to such a large baby have broken the hymen and thus eliminated any evidence of her having been a virgin? Well, Yeshua was immaculately conceived. And, you know, just as he was not, did not have a physical father and that sperm was not necessary uh, or even the act of uh, sex or making love. Uh, none of that was part of the process of Christ coming forth uh, as God incarnate into mortal form. <clears throat> and so this was completely unlike any other physical um, conception. And Mary did not have other children either. If you read the infancy gospel, the Yahushua Christ, the infancy, early childhood, and lost years, the book that we have out on this um, as far as the early youth and uh, you know his early childhood, all these stories, well, you'll recognize that Joseph was an, a very elderly man when he was given to be Mary's caretaker, and that 
he had already had and was married to a woman and bore six children with her. And that two of his children were near in age to Christ was, and that Mary became the mother of uh, both James and Thomas, who are the authors of the Infants and Gospels, and that grew up with Mary as their stepmother. And so that's why it says in the scriptures that Christ had siblings. They were not born from Mary. She did not have any other children. She only bore Christ, and that was through immaculate conception. She never knew a man. And so she was a perpetual virgin. That's why she was always known as the Virgin Mary, even up into her elderly, uh, you know, into her late and elderly years. And so, and these things were affirmed, uh, as you see in not only the infancy gospels, like, for instance, when the the two midwives that went to where she had given birth to Christ, Salome and another midwife, they checked uh, in whichever way you do uh, to confirm she was a virgin and found that she was. And so those stories are preserved in the infancy gospels and they are also confirmed in the on the priesthood of Jesus Christ, that particular uh, New Testament apocryphal manuscript, which gives the story and is confirmed by Theodosius and the Codex, and um, you know, uh, as far as the rabbis and the midwives that checked and confirmed in whatever way they do that Mary indeed was a virgin. Uh, you can also read the history of Joseph the Carpenter. Uh, where Christ relates the story of Joseph and how he was an elderly man and that he had passed away uh, even before Christ began to do his ministry, um, you know, at 30-odd years, whatever. And that's why when he was crucified on the cross that he gave over to John, his disciple, um, his mother, for him to care, to take care of her, and saying to him, John, your mother, um, mother, your son. And so he, and she did live with him up until the time of her death. And the, these stories are found in the Gospel of Gamaliel, which is, you know, the most incredible narrative on the Passion of Christ. And they, not only cover the passion of Christ, but they also speak about the um, the passing of Mary and also the martyrdom of Pontius Pilate. And it's the it's longer than any other. Uh, I mean, even the three gospel narratives put together are not as in depth or as lengthy or extent as the Gospel of Gamaliel. And for those that don't know who Gamaliel was, he is the uh, he was the teacher of Paul, and that instructed him in the Pharisee law. And he was also the brother of Nicodemus and Joseph. Uh, all three of them were brothers. And so, um, 
Yeah. And so, you know, these stories, they became believers in Yeshua and they rebelled against the Pharisees and accepted Christ as Messiah and came to know him uh, as such. Thank you. Next question is from Mary. In the Aramaic and Palestinian Targum, it speaks of the delightful exercises of the Sabbath. Would Zen have any thoughts on what that means? The delightful exercises of the Sabbath. I would, um, not knowing exactly, you know, not like having looked up in the Hebrew what those words mean or in the Aramaic. Uh, but I would just say that, you know, the delightful exercises perhaps would be just the occurrences of the celebration, the worship, the gathering, the honoring, you know, people celebrating meal with one another and showing gratitude to God um, because, you know, the travel was limited and the family all having time off they were able to come together in meal and to share uh, prayer and worship and gratitude to the Most High for a day of celebration such as Sabbath. And so, not knowing the particulars, I would just assume that it would be in some some kind of manner uh, related to that. Thank you. We are now on to live questions. And the first live question for tonight is from MJM. Will Yahushua return in the fig tree generation or at 6,000 years in the final Jubilee period? I thought you have said both. Are these two timelines related and or reconcilable? They are related. Uh, the fig tree generation is just exclusive to and this is one of the things I will be speaking on at the End Time Mysteries Revealed Conference uh, next weekend. Um, I'll be speaking on the fig tree generation and explaining this in great detail. But the fig tree generation is just associated to the regathering of Israel uh, as the house of Israel, as a people, uh, as a nation, and also with Jerusalem becoming their capital once more, that this happened uh, for the first time ever in the history of any country, any nation in the world that many of the Old Testament prophets spoke about, even Isaiah, how this would happen and that the, the, a nation would be reborn in a single day uh, and that this, in fact, did occur on May 14th. 1948, when Israel was regathered as a nation and took possession of the land that had pretty much made up what was Israel, um, you know, thousands of years prior. And so this occurred in our lifetime, or what is cited to be the fig tree generation that in the Chapters Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and in the Apocalypse of Peter, specifically, that these gospel accounts um, share in, in memorial 
the question that was related to Yahushua by the apostles when they asked him what would be the signs of your return and of the end of the age. And he associates the end of the world with being connected to the parable of the blooming of the fig tree, which is explained specifically in the apocalypse of Peter. And he is the only one to ask Christ specifically explain what the parable of the fig tree means and what it is alluding to. And he connects it to the house of Israel and even speaks about the coming of the Antichrist as well in relation to and the return of the two witnesses, Enoch and Elijah, at that time. Uh, and so I believe we are that generation and that we will witness the coming of the Antichrist as well as the coming of Enoch and Elijah as the two witnesses of Revelation 11 that will convict him as being a deceiver and an imposter, and that the Antichrist has to come on the scene first as the man of sin revealed, that there will be this great falling away and that he will be the abomination of desolation which declares himself to be as God in the temple of God in whatever way that plays out. But that, without a doubt, he comes first before Yeshua returns in Second Advent. And somebody asked me just recently of some lady who just put out a prophecy that, you know, the rapture is going to happen this September. Um, but, you know, again, the Antichrist comes first. Don't expect the rapture to happen until the man of sin is revealed. And Enoch and Elijah are also on the scene. After that, then, yeah, um, or even, you know, even if it is associated to uh, with Enoch and Elijah coming, but definitely the Antichrist will be on the scene before the rapture happens. And, you know, you can read and study the Apocalypse of Elijah, the Revelation of St. John the Theologian, the Sibling Oracles, Book 2, all of which are contained in the Great Commission 3, the end-time apocalypses, uh, for more information and better understanding on the end-times narrative and its connection to the fig tree generation. But certainly the 120 jubilees leading up to the 6,000 years, I do believe we are nearing um, that time even as, you know, as we speak. Thank you. Next question is from the Crosscheck 2012. What can you say about the Sefer? Um, well, I, I do have a Sefer, and I've read it, and I like that, you know, Dr. Pigeon puts in uh, the names of the Father and the Son in the way that they were present before they put in, you know, for these names, God and Lord God and things of that nature, and that he includes a lot of the extra-biblical manuscripts as part of the collective uh, biblical, you know, canon. Um, and so I applaud him for his efforts in doing uh, those kind of things. Um, I definitely think that 
the you know the Bible or what people should study of the inspired scriptures uh, far surpasses 66 books. And that even in the original 80-book King James Version of the Bible, uh, it included more text than most people associate with uh, being the authoritative or the acceptable text uh, for study. Um, I believe we should be studying everything and reading everything um, to learn, and that you allow the your discernment to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you uh, with regard to what is relevant and what should be, um, you know, what can be in, considered inspired, in, in my opinion. Thank you. Next question is from Tree Mistress. Before we had our sexual organs, were were we to have children? Were we to have children? No, we were not. In fact, it tells us that if Adam and Eve had not been tempted, had not fallen, and did not come under the authority of death, that they could have lived forever by eating from the tree of life. And that our original um you know the the way that we were created we were created as bright natured immortal angelic beings and that once we uh, receive our glorified bodies that we will return to that kind of bright natured angelic state and we will no longer have to bear children or offspring because we will not be in this fallen form or in this fallen world and so we were never meant, Adam and Eve were never meant to have children. It wasn't until they were tempted to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that having eaten, they were placed under the authority of death, which, meant, uh, which means that they, were, uh, they took on mortal embodiment, and that is when their genitals appeared. And it was at that time that, Eve was seduced by the serpent, and then Adam, eating the fruit with Eve, repeated the sexual act that he had witnessed Satan seducing Eve uh, when he impregnated her with Cain, and then Adam impregnated her with Abel. And that's why when they were called before uh, the Most High God, they hid their genitals with fig leaves and then hid themselves from the Most High. Uh, because they were embarrassed, um, and they knew that they had done something wrong, um, and that it was of a sexual nature, because otherwise, why would they cover up their genitals? And so, when they were called forth before the Most High, he could already foresee that Eve was pregnant, and that she was bearing, she would bear uh, both Cain and Abel, who Cain was the progeny of the devil and the child of the serpent, the wicked one, and that Abel would be the seed or the offspring of Adam. And that's why we see also that uh, Cain, Cain, his name in Hebrew means um, uh, possession, acquired, which is exactly what, um, you know, somebody that uh, marries a woman that already has a child from another man, uh, he acquires a stepson as a possession. And so uh, that's in fact what happened, and that's how Adam and Eve, you know, God said, 
I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, uh, and that uh, there would be the prophecy of Christ crushing the head of the serpent at the same time it was nipping at his heel. And then Eve, the you know, the punishment for her was that she was going to have to bear children in sorrow uh, because she was pregnant with both Cain and Abel. And then Adam would have to work the soil in order to feed his progeny. And all of that was fulfilled when they were cast out of paradise and banished here to the earth. And we are actually reading about and have been reading about this for several weeks and going through the primary Adamic literature. We're studying from the forgotten Edenic books of Adam and Eve. Um, and, and, you know, we'll be picking this up in our Digital Readers Club once we are complete with the conference and um, begin again our introspection of those texts. Thank you. And I also want to thank Fitz Gonzo for your uh, super chat donation. Thank you so much for your support. And they ask, since we are close to the end times, will we be seeing new manuscripts being discovered that will blow our minds in your opinion? I do believe so, yes. And I also believe that there are efforts right now um, that are happening where the, it, these groups that have the capacity to digitize what are some of these ancient manuscripts, they are being called forth by ancient monasteries and abbeys and churches that have existed going back to, you know, very early biblical times, you know, first second, third century, um, and that have a collection of probably really um, peculiar and uh, texts which might not be available anywhere else. And these things are being digitized and are being put into digital libraries for introspection. Uh, and are some of them are being made available to the public. And so I do believe that, yes, a lot of manuscripts will come to light and will be mind-blowing, just as we have the uh, lost book of King Og of Bashan, uh, the Rephaim king that came forth recently from the Vatican Library, uh, in the same way that the revelation of uh, the Magi came forth from uh, the Vatican Library by Brent Landau and his... Uh, translation of that second century Syriac text, which shows that, you know, the children of the Magi were the sons of Seth, and that they had, uh, in being given the prophecy by their father, Adam, who told them that Christ would come into the flesh 5,500 years after their being cast out of paradise, uh, that they were vigilant and watchful, and that they created this order of the Magi uh, to maintain watch. And, you know, we're successful in doing so. And that whole story uh, was also one of the manuscripts that has recently come to light. So there are more. Um, um, there are more and there will be more. Even the Thracian Chronicles, a whole series of very ancient manuscripts dating back to even older than the Sumerian cuneiform. Um, and the Thracian peoples and how they were Christians and 
predated the Sumerian by 2,000 years. And, you know, there's a whole wealth of narratives coming forth from them. And so, yes, I do believe without a doubt that there's going to be a lot of material come to light that will be absolutely mind-blowing. Thank you. The next question is from The Two Beauties. If one of Golgotha's skulls is Goliath, how tall was Goliath? Um, some, you know, some people say between 14 and 18 feet. Uh, others, maybe 9 and 10. Uh, I don't know uh, exactly. I don't remember anywhere specifically where his measure was given. With regard to the iron bedstead of King Og, um, this bedstead was said to be like 15 feet, and that was to fit him when he was a baby. And so he was very large indeed, especially being one of the antediluvian giants uh, that dated back to even the flood before the flood of Noah's day. And so he was one of the original the remnant of the hybrid born unto the Nephilim angels as they mated with the daughters of Cain. And so, uh, but with regard to Goliath and his brothers, I don't know exactly how big they were, but certainly they were large enough to scare all of the children of Israel that Goliath, the Philistine giant, went out there for 40 days and boasted uh, of his superiority and openly asked for anybody to challenge him. And even Saul was said to have been large, uh, according to you know the children of Israel. Uh, but he was scared of Goliath and had encountered him previously. In the book of Jasher, we're told the story of how Saul was with uh, Phineas and one of the other priests and protecting the ark. Uh, the covenant, and then when Goliath came and killed those priests and took the ark, he ran away in cowardice. And that was one of the reasons why uh, Goliath, when he went before the Israelites and recognizing Saul as the coward that had run from him, he boasted and you know basically mocked him and challenged any uh, of the children of Israel or any of their champions to come before him and at the time that David did come forth in challenge he had already received a dream previous to that about how he would slay um, you know this particular giant and so he knew that God was with him and so he went out and performed duty and did in fact kill Goliath but you know how big we don't exactly know. Thank you. Next question is from Juliet Mary. What are your views on the rapture? It's my opinion that the rapture occurs on the last day and on what is the great and terrible day of the Lord when the wrath of God is about to be poured out on the wicked and those not written into the books of life. 
and that this happens on Yom Terah, uh, what is the seventh trump, and that when the shofars are blown by the angels, uh, you know, Michael and Raphael and Gabriel and all the different angelic hosts that sound the trumpets and that they are heard across the world, that this is when the you know Christ comes, the sign of the cross is seen all across the heavens, the church is gathered into the air with him, and then the wrath of God is poured out, the seals open, uh, you know, the moon turning blood red, the sun turning um, black, and the stars come crashing down to the earth. All of these things, um, the earth being set ablaze, there being a new heaven and a new earth before he comes, uh, the mountains being brought low, the seas brought high, the crooked places made straight, the earth will be reestablished pristine and as smooth as a tabletop, as it says in the Revelation of St. John, the theologian. Um, so, yeah, the last day. And you can just search King James, you know, the, the Bible search last day, and you'll see all the different references that come up to the great and terrible day of the Lord, that that is when the rapture happens, in my opinion. And again, this is after the Antichrist is revealed. Thank you. And next question is from Red Pill Dan. In regards to Arnold Mur Murray and pre-existence, where did we reside before being born of women? The babies born today, where are these souls residing will all be born before the day of the the day we were all uh, created on the first day all the spirits all the spirits of humanity all the spirits of the angels all the spirits of the elements of fire of wind of air of snow rain all of the luminaries all of the spirits of the entire creation were all called forth on the first day. And we weren't appointed unto uh, flesh embodiment until the second world age, after the war in heaven, after the temptation of the angels, after a third fell with Lucifer, after there was this great battle in the heavens and the Celestials would lead to the destruction of the earth and of the first world age. And then once the second world age was established, the firmament put into place in order to trap and to bring to judgment the forces of legion and that Satan and his angels, as it says in Psalms 82, that they would die the death of a man, uh, that they would be placed under the authority of death. Uh, as humanity was after our fall, that embodiment, uh, what Christ said, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, I knew you before you entered into the womb of your mother. I had foreordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. This is all connected to what is the second world age. And so we were all part of even the morning stars that were witness to Christ being called forth as the light of the world, and that the creation first became visible and the morning stars shouted for joy. We were present for all of that. 
and we still have burnt to our souls, to our spirits, those collective memories. And there will be a time where we'll be able to recount and remember all these things. Um, but when you enter into flesh embodiment, you are forced to drink from the cup of forgetfulness. And all these things that all of your previous memories of your previous embodiment and your previous spiritual incarnation, these things are wiped from you. But they are still present and burned into your soul. And there will be a time where you'll be uh, able to regather and to recollect such remembrance. Uh, some people, you know, even have an experience what is called deja vu. Um, and, you know, synchronicities during this lifetime, which give them uh, remembrance of those kind of things and how, you know, they know that they existed previous before entering into flesh embodiment. Thank you. Next question is from Penny Short. Gary Wayne says only the daughters of Cain were the only ones impregnated by the fallen angels. Is this your belief too? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what the, not only does the um, Kebra Nagas spelled K-E-B-R-A space N-A-G-A-S-T chapter 100 also cite specifically that the watchers descended down to the uh, daughters of Cain as they were you know, taking and reveling in a massive orgy, and that's why they lusted after them and decided to take wives of all which they chose. But this is also confirmed in the Perk de Rabbi Eleazar as well as the legends of the patriarchs and the prophets. And so uh, specific to the daughters of Cain are uh, mentioned in those manuscripts. And it's my belief that because Genesis 3 occurred and the children of Cain were already hybrid, that is what made possible the, uh, as far as the watchers mating with them uh, and having the whole Genesis 6 occurrence happening, that one was dependent on the other. Thank you. Next question is for Mr. Snoop Taylor. When reading John 3.13 and Mark 13.26, I sense that when we die, we don't go to heaven. Rather, time instantly forwards to the time of Jesus' second coming. We are raised to be with him. What are your thoughts on this? I don't agree with that at all. Uh, and in my opinion, you can look to the vision of Paul for determination on what happens to both a just and a wicked soul and that our soul goes to be present with the most high we're brought into what is a jury uh, uh, in judgment and the holy spirit and also our guardian angels um, either convict us and our words and our actions and the things that are written down into the books of life of the things that we did during this lifetime, they either convict us or they bring forth praise uh, and victory for us. And that you go on to be in paradise with the uh, already restored 
descendants of Adam, even the thief on the cross, Enoch and Elijah, which are already there, as we see conveyed in the Gospel of Nicodemus when they were resurrected um, by Christ and taken back into their former estate. Or you go to the place of condemnation for those that are wicked and that did not accept Christ as Savior Messiah and that they are held there in condemnation and that they, you know, you have knowledge uh, and of time passing and of either uh, having victory or condemnation until the time of what would be Christ's second coming. And so there's no, you know, for those that fail, um, the time between now and then is unpleasant. But for those that do succeed and that endure to the end, then the time is a blessing and, you know, is a, is restful and peaceful and joyful and uh, a blessing. But, you know, Sheol is certainly not. And so we are aware of those distinctions according to your, you know, what you reap is what you sow. And so the vision of Paul, chapters 12 through 28, uh, for specifics on this. Thank you. Next question is from Teresa Lee. Will God's people be here when the pit is opened? Uh, that's a really good question. And I, um, there's two ways to see this. As far as the spiritual forces um, that are part of, even now, we see that the veil between spirit and matter is thinning and that there's an overlap and that spiritual forces are bleeding into our existence and that we see even like, you know, the whole, all those ghost hunter shows and how there's spirits and shadow beings and uh, demonic entities and places where uh, satanic rituals have been done in, in that ancient, you know, generations of masons living in households and rituals being performed that uh, these are gateways to what is this bleed over of legion entering into our our time space reality into this world that this is happening however uh, i do believe that the bottomless pit being opened up and what it says of legion coming forth and the giants being released and also the locust army and that they are part of what is the decimation of those that not written into the books of life remain here on the earth for what will be the judgment and the desecration and destruction of the earth because there will be a new heaven and a new earth before the coming of Christ and so uh, I don't believe that the church will be a portion to that wrath and to what is cited in Joel chapter 2 as this supernatural army coming forth and um, being part of what is the destruction of those that remain here on the earth that, you know, uh, even a third of the creatures in the seas, a third of the ships, um, all of that destruction 
that will take place at that time, it's my opinion that that is part of the judgment of the Locust Army being released to um, bring forth in horror because, you know, the elites have been trying to conjure and to um, bring forth these demonic entities. And so God's hand at that time will be pulled back and the restrainer will no longer restrain. And they're going to get exactly what they've been trying to call forth. And this happened also in the time of the Exodus when the those that worshipped, you know, the 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 serpents, the basilisks, and these dragons, uh, they were God allowed them to call forth exactly these dragons, these flying serpents, and they came forth and they bit them and they harassed them and they destroyed them and they killed them. And that's why Moses had to put up the, you know, the seraphim on the staff, uh, which was a, um, a, a symbol even of Christ and his resurrection uh, at that time in order to heal them. But the same thing at the end of days, they're going to be allowed to succeed in calling forth these demonic entities, but it will be not at the expense of humanity, but their own destruction. Thank you. This is the last question of the night, unless somebody wants to add. Oh, okay, we have another question. All right, so next question is from Shay Shanae. Uh, if Adam was not meant to have offspring, how would Yahweh have brought forth the nefesh of mankind? Uh, well, the nefesh of mankind was blown into Adam and Eve as bright-natured immortal beings. And even the angels, Lucifer and the one-third that joined him in rebellion, they were never supposed to be put under the authority of death either. If they would have just stayed serving uh, the Most High God, they would have never have fell. And Adam and Eve being created also in bright nature, uh, if they would have just um, followed and listened to God and not disobeyed, and neither the fallen angels, none of them disobeyed, there would have been no need or reason for this physical flesh world to be created. It's only because God is showing us through this, you know, the duality of knowledge, good and evil, light and darkness, he's given us free will to manifest what we desire in being uh, like the Most High in creating and listening to our own hearts and trying to be gods ourselves, as well as the fallen angels, that listening to our own initiative and being given free will to create and manifest as we choose, we create a world where we would destroy ourselves and we would destroy all the creatures and everything would be dismantled and the harmony of what God created as a natural order would not be able to succeed. And so that's why God is showing us through free will and giving us the ability to manifest as we choose uh, just what we need a sovereign Lord to rule over us. 
a just, caring, and loving God who has the power to establish the natural order and allow it to perpetuate itself. Because otherwise, you know, we would doom ourselves. And so this is the lesson of this reality. Thank you. And this is actually a follow-up question from the previous question. Um, so the Iliam Tell asks, what about people that have reaped violence their whole life but then received Yahushua at the end of life? Well, as long as they are born again and they accept Christ and they truly repent, uh, their sins are washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And they'll go forth to be in paradise just as the thief did when he declared his belief in Christ as Savior Messiah. So shall it be for all of us uh, if you confess that he is uh, King and Lord and Savior Messiah and you believe in the promise of the cross and that salvation is through him and you truly repent and are born again and you go forth and sin no more then I absolutely believe that you will be forgiven and that you can have eternity through the Messiah. And that is the promise that he extends to each and every one of us. And so, yeah, it um, doesn't matter what you did previously if you uh, come to know and accept and really be changed according to that conviction. We remember that even David, he had, um, you know, he had killed Uriah and taken his wife, seduced his wife, um, and that the even Saul, Paul, who had killed many of the Christians and was the enemy of God's people for a very long time until his conversion, and so. Anybody that truly repents and comes to understand that, you know, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, um, that eternity is through him. And he has the incredible, beautiful nature to forgive all of us, even when we sometimes can't forgive ourselves. And so... I think that's a lesson for all of us, um, that forgiveness is a very powerful, very powerful concept uh, in relation to the kingdom. Thank you. Next question is from Garrett Burrow. Would you consider this a good rule of thumb, that any extra biblical text written after Jesus ascended to heaven would be questionable? No. No, um, I think it's a, a good rule of thumb is to read the text, and if it contradicts what is revealed in Scripture and what God leads you to in discernment as far as truth, then, yeah, if it is contrary and it goes against what you know to be true, then, yeah, don't don't accept it as uh, you know, authorized or inspired in any manner. Uh, if it's something that isn't, you know, uh, absolutely like Antichrist or teaches a, 
a different, um, as far as faith or a different uh, revelation, uh, then just take it for what it shares. If it, you know, is of interest and it's something that um, you can learn from, but that is more historical rather than inspirational. Because um, I believe there's a lot of manuscripts that we can learn from out there. For instance, all the infancy gospels. I mean, there's not there's one story of the youth of Christ when he was 13 years old in the scriptures. If you want to know more about his life, you absolutely have to go to the extra biblical materials to learn, um, and they will greatly bless you in understanding that he truly was God incarnate with the full authority of divine providence going back to the first moments he entered into this world and that he was like a two-year-old babe already able to speak and that he declared uh, to his mother and those that were present that he had come to fulfill the Father's mission, that he was Savior Messiah and recognized his role and his mission in coming into this world. And so there's a lot of manuscripts that are inspired, and um, there are some that, you know, were written after, uh, like the medieval Irish Apocrypha, uh, the, uh, the, the ever-new tongue, uh, which was, you know, one of the apostles, Philip, who had his tongue cut out seven times and it regrew. Um, there's a lot of very blessed manuscripts out there and don't judge anything until you know, you can't just label, um, with, you know, some kind of rule of thumb, what is beneficial and what isn't until you read it, read it, study it, and then decide for yourself. Thank you. Next question is Shay Shanae. Do you, from Shay do you believe all Christians will be the bride of Yeshua or only the elect saints? No, I don't believe that all Christians, especially in the manner that you know Christians label themselves and how so many believe in this once saved, always saved, I think a lot of people are fooling themselves. And that's why we see at the end that Christ says to many, away from me, you workers of iniquity, I know you not. Uh, it says in the Gospel of Thomas, I will call you one from 1,000 to from 10,000. Uh, I believe the elect is but a few. And that, you know, most people have no concern for truth, do not even read their Bibles, have no relationship with Christ or the Father, or the Holy Spirit. They don't pray. They don't show gratitude. They're, there's no you know, prayerful gratitude to the Most High for anything, for any blessing, for anything that is provided for them in their lives. And so you know, most people don't have a relationship with the Godhead. And so... And then most, you know, a lot of people are led astray into believing in these ancient alien and the ancient pagan religions. And they revere what are the fallen angels. And they practice things like uh, 
you know, um, paganism, blood sacrifice, things of that nature. Even Satanism is a large religion. We don't even understand how many. You know, there's probably as many Satanists as there are Christians. I mean, I believe it's that prevalent. Uh, and then with regard to mainstream Christianity, most of them are caught up in idolatry and have no idea that they are unwittingly involved in celebrating pagan uh, feast days, holy days, you know, Christmas, Easter, um, Good Friday, Valentine's, things of that nature. Uh, those are all pagan holy days. Um, and then there are also most people accept a false cosmology and follow a false calendar. And because of that, they don't honor Sabbath or the correct Levitical feast days. And so the deception is rampant. And there are very few people that are, in my opinion, observing what the ancient Israelites did in regard to the Levitical feast days, the Sabbath, the calendars, the cosmology, um, that these kind of truths, even though they are coming to light, uh, still 99% of the population buy into and accept a heliocentric Copernican worldview where they believe that you know life just randomly came um, of nothing and that there's this ever-expanding universe where every sun in the sky, every star is a sun and has a planetary system and, and evolved around it and that uh, could have, you know, some kind of advanced life form. Um, and so there's, the deception is great. You know, most people in scientific backgrounds in, that are going to school and being raised in these educational doctrines believe that we evolved to monkeys and that our ancestors swung from the trees. I mean, yeah, the, the strong delusion because the world has no love of the truth. I mean, yeah, very few. The elect is but a small portion, in my opinion. Thank you so much, Sen. And it is 11 p.m. Um, we that will have to be our last question for tonight. I know we didn't get to a lot of the questions that were in the chat. So if you have a question that you'd like to make sure is in a future episode, please email us at sacredwordpublishingllc at gmail.com with subject line Zen AMA, and we'll make sure to get it on a future episode. Or make sure to join us live and put in your question as soon as possible so that we make sure that we have time to answer your question. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for dedicating these last two hours and researching and just studying with us. We're so grateful for your, for your uh, fellowship and just friendship. And with that, I did want to mention one more thing. I've actually gotten a couple emails of people asking me if we still had Georgia Guidestones tickets left and, and even if we have conference tickets left. Um, the answer is yes to both. You can check out sac sacredwordrevealed.com and you can get both tickets there. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at sacredwordpublishingllc at gmail.com. 
Zen, if you could please close out us out in prayer, that would be wonderful. Yes, we are so eternally grateful to you, Father, that we have this chance to study in this manner, and we are so grateful also that we are able to and going to be able to come together in congregation, in fellowship, as ministry, and as family in Christ next week, and that we'll be able to share these presentations and to share dialogue and conversation and meal and to uh, encourage each other and empower each other and hug one another. It's going to be a great blessing. I'm looking forward to meeting and gathering with all of you and speaking about the things that we've come to know. It's a, a great honor and a privilege to be able to share what the Most High has led us to in discernment and revelation and for us to be able to, as a family, to do this kind of service. And But more importantly, Lord, we just thank you that we are able to give to those that are in need and to help those that are less fortunate and to be able to pass on the blessings that you so kindly and graciously pour out upon us. We thank all of those of you that are out there that support us as a family, as a ministry, that are giving to the various orphanages that we support in charity and to the different other groups and peoples and uh, that we also support in uh, donation. It's You are so kind, and we are so grateful, and we thank you. And you know, know that all of what you do give to us, we do pass on to others. And Father God, it's all for your honor, for all for your glory, all for your praise. And, and just I ask you to watch over all of us, keep us all safe. Bless each and every one of the listeners and help lead and guide them in discernment and more importantly in personal relationship with you. Father, I hope that they can really recognize the sanctity of every moment and that they can come to live their prayer and that they can be what is you know, church and they can hold that space in every moment and that they can show gratitude and thanksgiving to you for all the bounty of blessings that we are so just blessed to be witness to every day and being part of this incredible creation, this great mystery that you established for us. Um, as always, we humble ourselves before you, thank you, love you, and just ask that you watch over the entire world and lead us to truth. In your name, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And Justin just or just Justin just let me know that we actually had four people reach out to us that can no longer uh, four attendees that can no longer attend the conference in person, um, and they want to donate their ticket to the conference as well as their ticket to the Georgia Guidestones tour to somebody out there who may be listening and really wants to come but may not be able to afford to come if. You know that's you, and you would like to join us in Atlanta, Georgia, September 11th through 13th for the Georgia Guidestones Tour and the uh, conference. 
please email us at sacredwordpublishingllc at gmail.com and we will make sure to get the first four people who reach out to us those tickets. And also don't forget to check out sacredwordreveal.com. The um, the speakers have changed quite a bit in terms of who who's coming in person, who's coming virtually, and we've also added multiple new speakers. So please do check out that new list before you uh, come. And with that, thank you so much, everyone, as, as always. And we hope to give some of you guys a hug next week. Thank you. Shalom. Good night. Good night, all. Be blessed. Shalom. Everyday questions arise. Are the stories in the Bible true? What if I told you that there are hundreds of confirming witnesses? Which give intricate detail to the stories in the Bible. Have you ever found yourself deep in the rabbit hole with questions that no one seemed to have the answers to? Join us every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for our Ask Me Anything series with author and researcher Zen Garcia as he sheds light on the mysteries which have us all searching together.